Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. this portion of scripture from chapter 3 to chapter 4 has been peace in the house of God, which is in danger of being breached due to the sins of the tongue, including a lack of restraint on the tongue of being unable to tame it, due to jealousy and selfish ambition, which was leading to disorder and sin in the body of Christ, to the quarrels and fights because of their desires and their passions which was leading to anger and bitterness and resentment amongst God's people. And then as we saw last week, slander, speaking evil against others, that asserts God's place in setting standards and judgments. And that's what we talked about last week. The Jewish believers were usurping the role of God by judging people according to their own standards and then making judgments based on on that standards. God says it shouldn't be so. And in today's passage, James is going to warn the believers to be careful in presuming on the providence of God with arrogant boasting. So with that, let's look at that passage in James chapter 4, 13 through 17, where James, writing under the unction of the Holy Spirit, writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast and your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him... It is sin. Father, open up this very familiar passage to us in a new way this morning. Let us read it with eyes that have been opened by the Holy Spirit. Let it find seed and water, Lord, through your word, in a soil that is fertile and ready to receive it. And then, Father, Lord, may we respond in obedience. For, Lord, you are called to follow through in our profession of faith. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. And Lord, may you be with all of us this morning. We praise in the name of your Son. Amen. At first glance, one may think that God is forbidding any future planning. However, the problem that James is addressing with the Jewish believers is not in planning, but boastful arrogance, as we see in verse 16, for he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting that's found itself in personal arrogance or personal pride, he says, is evil. It is sin. It is rebellion against God. And James here is rebuking their sinful attitude in the phrase when he says, you say. And he takes one of their slogans and he repeats it. For he says, your boastful arrogance is shown when you say or you think, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such place or town and spend a year there. He's pointing out their prideful worldview that's based on self-reliance. Boasting arrogance 
And acquiring wealth is a worldview that's, in, in, that's being attacked or being concerned here in this passage. And also the one next that we'll see next week. Douglas Moo, who's a professor and pastor, writes concerning this passage that James desires for these rich believers, and that's what we're mainly speaking here of today. He's speaking of these rich believers, these merchants, to avoid boasting in their worldly success, but rather to trust in the providence of God. You see, they were guilty of presumption in their future success in trading and making a profit. And so as you look at the screen, I, I want to give you what the problem here is in a nutshell. The problem is, in a nutshell, is they're planning without regard for God's sovereignty and providence over all of creation. See, they think it's about themselves. It's their self-reliance. As we've seen in our previous study in this letter, James is heavily influenced by the teachings of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. Simply, he's saying that these wealthy Jewish merchants were being foolish by living and making decisions as, as if God is not in control. As if they did not have to go before Him. As if they do not ask for His wisdom and His counsel or seek His word. Their foolishness is exhibited in that they are neglecting the transitory nature of life that we see in Job chapter 7. Where Job is told, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. He says, as the cloud fades and vanishes, so is he who goes down to Sheol, speaking of the grave, does not come up. Job says, I, I loathe my life. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are just a breath. Their arrogant boasting was such as that they were presuming on the future as if their time is their own not realizing that life is in the hands of God. They were neglecting the sovereignty and providence of God, as we see in Proverbs 27, where he says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. They're also neglecting the future judgment of God in the parable of the rich fool. We'll see this a little bit more next week. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus had warned this rich man who was very wealthy, and who wanted to tear down barns and build up bigger ones. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. He says, relax, drink, eat, and be merry. That's what the rich man says. But God calls him a fool and says, this night your life is required of you one day we will stand before God. Life is not our own. The Greek word for boastful pride is the word hybris, where we get our modern word meaning, or hubris, meaning exaggerated self-pride. That's what we're seeing here in these merchants. We see this very clearly in a movie that I talk about quite often, the 1965 movie called Shenandoah with Jimmy Stewart who's playing the role of, of Charlie Anderson, who's a widower, he's a farmer, and he's in during the Civil War trying to stay out of the Civil War. As he sets his family down to pray for their dinner, he had promised his wife who died that he would raise up his children by praying and going to church. He prays this. He prays, Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, we sowed it, 
and we harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. What do you see in that dialogue? I think the writers there of Hollywood captured very clearly the human concept of how we go about life. We think that we've done it all, but I guess I might as well just thank you the same because that's what I'm supposed to do. We forget about the sovereignty and providence of God. And just like Charlie Anderson, the Jewish merchants that James is writing to were guilty of leaving God out of account in their planning and their provision in their lives. They need to understand, as you and I need to understand, that there is no autonomy or independence from the Lord. And you see, the problem is they're planning without regard for God's sovereignty. Now let me share with you the solution, as you see. The solution is that you and I must acknowledge that God is sovereign over all of creation, over all things. James says, instead of boasting or presuming on the future, they ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. The phrase is nothing special other than understanding and acknowledge that God is the one who is in control of all things. The Jewish believers should adopt, as you and I should, the practice of Jesus at Gethsemane, who prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And when he commanded the disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he says, you must take into account God's sovereignty. Pray if the Lord wills. Pray if the Lord wills, I'll see you tomorrow, or I will do this, or I will do that. Now let me tell you this, the phrase, if the Lord wills, is not some type of Christian magical incantation. And we do that so, so many times in our prayers and our lives. But it's a correct perspective of reality. There is a folly in trusting in astrology, tea leaves, tarot cards, fortune cookies, or luck in making life decisions, but yet many of us do that. How many of us can remember back in the 80s when it was said that Nancy Reagan, who was the uh, wife of the President Ronald Reagan, was using an astrologer to help him make decisions, and we all cringed at that. But for many people, the first thing they go to in the morning is they grab the paper and look at the astrology and see what the stars have to say. We're no different than taking animal bones and taking them and shaking them and throwing them on the table and seeing, well, should I get up today or should I stay in bed? James sums up in verse 17 by referencing the sins of omission, which is what's happening in this case, which is a failure to act and in this case, it's entrusting and respecting God's providence. Scripture points to several cases of sins of omission in the teaching of Christ. Now, you and I typically think of sins of, 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 of commission, things that we do. Well, this is a failure in acting. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus warns of the failure to use our money and our talents wisely. 
In Matthew 25, we saw this several times, Jesus warns of the failure to care for the outcast. So it's not just what you and I do that we're responsible for, but we're also responsible for the things that we do not do, for even that is an action and will be taken account. James is warning them, by going in boastful arrogance, by not realizing and recognizing and acknowledging the providence of God, you're guilty of sins of omission, of not respecting the Savior. In the parable of Luke chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus had harsh words for the rebellious servant. He warned, and this is a tough phrase, but he warns that the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. God likens that to the judgment that you and I will face when we stand before him. Or I should say it's more or less the one who does not hear the word of God. James encourages them to keep the right perspective in mind when making decisions and living our lives. And that's where I want to challenge you this morning. For how often do you and I go through our lives making decisions, making plans, never once asking God, what should I do? You and I may make decisions with our time, with our money, our finances, with our children, in all sorts of ways, and many times, not even giving a simple attempt to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Or we just throw it up as a simple phrase, not really meaning anything. James encourages them to keep the right perspective in mind. Let me add also this question, is planning wrong? Is it wrong to plan for my future then? Is it wrong to plan for tomorrow if it says not to boast about it? No, of course not. Scripture elsewhere commands us to be wise stewards and a plan for the future. And so whether it may be about life insurance, investments, or retirement, or any of those types of things, God says make those decisions. But as we make those decisions, that's not what we put our trust in. I find it sad when I hear so many Christians who all they can talk about is the money that they're putting away for their retirement living for their own kingdom and their own agenda, while the houses of God are poor and missionaries are begging for money and churches are shutting their doors because they cannot keep it open. And the kingdom of God is not propagated as it should. People who think so much about all the time that they'll spend working and playing and enjoying their life, but yet never coming to help in church programs, using their gifts and talents, to build up the body of Christ. It should not be so for those that have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. For He's called us together to be His people and to do His work. Instead of seeking God's kingdom, we have sought after all those things that are to be added to us. We love 633b, but we don't care for 633a of Matthew. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. John Piper has wrote a good book, and I think it's something that all of us should read, where he talks about don't waste your life, don't waste your jail sentence. I think there's one. 
Here's another one. Just don't waste your retirement. We think about all these things we're going to do when we retire. Never once saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life when I'm done working? Should I semi-volunteer at a church? Should I go into full-time ministry? No, we're thinking about Florida. We're thinking about our boats. We're thinking about our Winnebago's driving across the nation. We get that little extra money from the tax refund or for some other type of thing, saying, oh, look what I've got. Now I can do this. Now I can do that. Never asking, Lord, how can I seed your kingdom? I'm guilty of it. We all are. So there's nothing wrong with planning. The problem is, is we plan without taking account God and his kingdom. These are good and wise things for you and I to do to plan for the future, to plan how we should increase our wealth. There's nothing wrong with increasing your wealth. We should. I think it's incumbent on us, we as Christians, to try to increase our wealth, not for our own purpose, but to use it for God's glory. There's a whole parable of how we ought to use our wealth for the kingdom. We need to acknowledge the sovereignty and providence of God in all of our doings. So let me challenge how, challenge you, how are you doing that? How many of you are guilty of boastful arrogance? The Bible, not I, says that that is evil, that is sinful. Whether it's boastful arrogance or living your life as if God's providence doesn't matter. Not only does God's providence matter, but one day you and I will stand before God and give account of that, that sin of omission, of keeping God out of our plans. It ought to be first and foremost in our life. I want to give you some practical things. I think you understand this is a simple place that we're at, is you and I are to acknowledge the providence of God in all of our planning and all of our decisions and all of our life. But to do that, to acknowledge God's providence, you and I first must understand that what God's providence means. So I want to spend some time on that. Wayne Grubman, who's a professor, defines God's providence, and you'll see this on the screen so you can understand it, and you want to write it down, is that God is continually involved with all created things in such a way. And there's the key there. He's continually involved. God is not someone who's wound up the clock and set it down and now is just watching life go by. No, He is continually involved in all created things in such a way that He keeps them existing and maintaining the properties which He created them. In other words, you see this new, the new pulpit and communion table we have. We're thankful for it. I hope you enjoy it. I'm getting used to it, so you might see me seeming a little uncomfortable. I'm still finding out my boundaries with it as we go. But as we see it, it's, it's hard, it's wood. But the only thing that's keeping it hard and steady and holding me up is not the fact that it was built sturdy by good American hands, but the fact that God is keeping this, the, these molecules together and doing what He's created it to do. The same thing as that chair that holds you up, the hairspray that's keeping your hair in place and the makeup in the right spot, the play thing that's keeping gravity still and making me not float up into space. God is the one who is continually keeping those things. We talked a little bit about this Sunday school. For those of you in Sunday school, this may be a little bit redundant. The only reason the grass grows is because God says grow. The only reason the wind blows is God says blow. We saw that in our scripture reading this morning. 
So he keeps him existing. He, co he cooperates with created things in every action and directing their distinctive properties that cause them to act as they do. Long words, but that's really where you and I are going to camp at. Is that God works in all of our lives to accomplish His purpose so that He directs them to fulfill His purposes. All things come because of His direction. Wayne Grubin writes that God's providence covers all of the inanimate and animate creation. In the affairs of nations. In the seemingly random chance events, I love to use Proverbs 16.33, where he tells us that man casts the dice, but God decides where it falls. And as I was sharing this with the Saint School this morning, I shared with him, so when you're in Las Vegas and you're at the table and you're playing craps, is that the name of the word? Is that the name of what it's called? Okay. And you throw the dice and you're all hoping for what's the number you're supposed to get? Uh, there's some of you that know. There's some of you that know. Six, seven, whatever it might be. So as we're doing that, as we're throwing it, we think we're lucky. We're thinking, look at the random chance. But no, that's God deciding whether it's a seven or whether it's a six. You can pull that one-armed bandit down, and he's the one that decides if it's going to be a lemon, a cherry, or whatever else it may be. There is no such thing as random chance. He even makes the lotto balls fall in the order that they go. There's no such thing as chance or luck. Hence, you and I need to not think, oh, I bet you I have a whole bunch of luck. And that's what we pray for. And we say it. I remember one time, I, you know, I made the, the bad mistake of I went to a Christian college to, to visit it. And there was one of their seminary guys. And we were, I spent the weekend with them. And as I was leaving, I was saying, well, Good luck. Of course, then he wanted to give me a, a whole dispensation of why there's no such thing as luck. And I just got in the car and said, oh, heck with you. We use those words, and we use them sometimes without thinking and what they're meaning. But there is no saying, such thing as, as luck. Maybe we shouldn't be saying good luck. It, it, it gives the wrong message. But God is providence over all aspects of our lives. And our food, give us this day our daily food. In our lifespan, it's God who plans our days before we were born. Psalms 139 says, In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It says, the day, Our days are determined, and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. So you will not die before your time. Now, that doesn't mean you should stand at a cliff and jump out and say, well, this must not be the day. Let's go find out. Because the worst thing is to find out that God says, nope, I wasn't going to kill you today. But now you've got to live in traction for months. But we assume, we presume on God. In the words of the great philosopher, Dr. Cliff Huxtable of the Cosby Show, he said to his son, Theo, you know this, I am your father. I bought you into this world and I can surely take you out. We must not presume on God's goodness and God's grace. Wayne Grumman writes that all of our actions are under God's providential care. For it's in Him we live and move and have our being. Each and every individual step you and I take are ordered by the Lord. You and I think that we're king of our own domain and we, we choose which way to go, but yet you see, God is sovereign and providential over each and everything. 
Proverbs 16 tells us the plans of the mind belong to the man. In other words, we can sit down all day and all night. We can lose sleep making all these plans of what we're going to do and how we're going to get it done. We can write it in our day timer. We can put it on Facebook. We put it in our calendars, figuring that's what I'm going to do, and nothing will sway me from it until we see, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All that we do is ordered by the Lord. Success and failure comes from God. We cannot say, I will go here and there, and I will do this and that, and I will sell and buy, and I will walk away with profit. For God determines our successes and our failures. He says, for not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. God is control of all things. All of these passages, all of these general statements are about God's work in the life of each and every person. Whether you submit to the kingship of God or not, every heart is ordained and decreed every step by God. Our words, our steps, our movements, our hearts, and our abilities are all from the Lord. And he says that it's incumbent upon those who have professed his name to acknowledge that in your life decision, in your planning, in all that you do. So are you? How often? For what things? Maybe just for the big ones? Should I buy a house? Should I get married? Should we have children? God has called us to acknowledge sovereignty and providence of old things. And I think that if you and I were to do that, as these Jewish believers should, that we'll see a change in our heart. We'll see a, a lift in our step. We'll understand James when he says in chapter 1, count it all joy when you find yourself in sufferings and trials. For just as we shake our hand when God gives us a bad apple, that's how we make our plans and decisions, trying to outsmart not only the world and everyone else, but even God himself. Would you acknowledge that he is God and King? And what's wonderful is the gospel speaks to us. For if God is sovereign, if God is providential, then that tells us through the gospel is that he chose you and I to be his children. God demonstrated, God showed His love that while I was sinner, Christ died for us. He did not have to do it. I did not have to earn it. It wasn't some type of merit that I've done by doing all the things in my own power. No, it's God who says, I will choose Him. I will choose her. I will love them. I will bring them near to me. The gospel speaks to the great providence and sovereignty of God. And that should cause all of us to be humble and grateful and to bow down and say, thank you, Father, for choosing me. And now I acknowledge you in all things. And as I walk my life, as I make decisions, let me glorify you. 
So how do we put both God's providence and command to be wise stewards? For some of you might say, well then, what I need to do then is I just need to carry a couple dice around, some quarters and maybe a couple lots, and every time I need to make a decision, I'll just do that. Because that will be God's will. But that's not what God has called us to do. There was an Old Testament principle in which that showed God's providence, but now God has given us something better than quarters, lots, and dice to make decisions. For God has given us His Son and His Word through the Holy Spirit to help direct our minds and hearts towards Him. And I'd like to share this with you, is that you and I, our minds need to be shaped by Scripture. For we must understand that God in His sovereignty uses everything to guide us according to His purpose and plans. That includes the way that you and I are born and hardwired. It includes our parents, our environments, our schools, our nations that we're at, all things. We see, number two, that in many and varied ways, God can speak to His people and guide them with their conscious cooperation. So we are not mindless zombies walking around waiting for God to order my steps. It would be silly for me to say, I am in God's providence, now protect me and just start walking off like the Bureau of Silly Walks. God hasn't called us to do that. That's silly. That's not a wise steward. But he says that I will work with your conscience cooperation. Recognize who I am. Which brings us to the third, how does that happen? God speaks to us today by His Son through the Holy Spirit and in the Scripture. He doesn't speak to us through the astrology. He doesn't speak to us through tarot cards. He doesn't speak to us through some type of magical manifestation of different things, waiting for some, some type of Holy Spirit electric bolt to hit me and say, whoa, I got it. He says He's spoken to us through His Scripture. All that you and I need to know to live godly lives has been revealed to his word. So here's what I want you to do. Here, this is not on the screen, so you can just turn that off, and you can just write these down, but this is what you need to do. How then do I work and cooperate with the providence and sovereignty of God in making wise decisions? It's very simple. First, pray. Pray, Lord, what is your will for me? Seek the scriptures is number two. See, where, do, where, where is God speaking to this event? Whether it's whether I should get married or not, whether it's should I go to college, buy a home, should I buy this, should I do that? All these things God is going to show and reveal certain things to a scripture for us. And after you and I have prayed and sought counsel in God's word, then you and I ought to seek the counsel of good, godly, wise men and women. That's why you still have parents. That's why when you turned 18, God didn't just kill us and take us to heaven. He knew you are going to still need us. Seek good and wise, godly counsel. And there's just three things I want to give you for extra credit. There will be no test on this, but I believe it's important for you to understand. When you're making good, wisely decisions to acknowledge the providence of God, you need to understand three things. First, there are matters of triviality. There are things that you don't need to pray, seek scripture, and ask, ask counsel for. These are just, should I get up? Should I brush my hair? Should I brush my teeth? Should I go to work? These are things that are trivial. You don't need to pray and seek after those. It's not get up, Lord, should I use Crest or should I use 
the baking soda. Nah, you, you know what you, you need to do those things, okay? Don't get to, don't, don't be the splitting of the hair. So those are matters of triviality. Those are things you don't need to pray, see scripture, and do counsel. Now you may want to seek counsel on what the best toothpaste is, I guess. Things of that nature. But the first one that's most, so that was the first one, but the second one is matters of righteousness. And here's probably where I, I sometimes just want to get on to people. Matters of righteousness are things in which Scripture has clearly spoken. Let me tell you, you don't need to pray about and seek counsel of whether or not you should submit to the Lordship of Christ. Because if you don't, you're under the wrath of God. You don't have to pray and seek counsel and ask someone, should I be baptized? Because he says, do it. He doesn't say that you have to join a church or, or excuse me, do, do I have to join a church? Should I, should I do all these things? Well, no, you, you're, you're to be a member of God's body. Now, there's another section that you may decide which church. I'll give you that in a moment. But these are matters of righteousness. I do not have to pray and seek God's counsel and seek counsel of someone else of whether or not I should cheat on my wife. Don't need to do it. God says don't. When God says don't, when God says do, got it? Good. It's simple. It's matters of righteousness. But here's where you and I live. Here's where you and I camp, and that's number three. And that's matters of good moral judgment. Matters of good moral judgment. Those are decisions like, should I get married? Should I buy a house? What school should my kids go to? Uh, who should I marry? I don't know if I did that one already. Um, uh, should, what should type of life insurance or should I get life insurance? Those are all the places that you and I swim in and work. This is the matters of not boastful arrogance that you and I find ourselves. Okay? Matters of good moral judgment. In those cases, God will make what God's word may not say, uh, buy a house, get married, whatnot. The Bible may give you principles, but he's not telling you, should I marry Dustin, should I marry Sarah, should I marry Reggie, or should I marry Natalie, so on and so forth. But he does have things in which he says, pursue marriage, be fruitful and multiply. He does tell us how to be married. He says, do not marry an unbeliever. We shouldn't have to pray about divorce. He tells us not to divorce. But these are matters of good moral judgment. Things in which there are principles found in Scripture that you and I should pray about, seek those principles, and then seek wise counsel. Can I afford that? Does the Bible have anything to say about finances? Of course. Does God have anything to say about debt? Of course. Does God say anything about what church I should join? Yes, He does. Good, faithful, elder-led, uh, Bible-believing churches. So these are all things that we ought to work in and say, here are matters of good moral judgment. The scripture is not clear. It's not a do or don't, but there are biblical principles that we can gather. I pray for the Holy Spirit to illumine my mind, and I seek other good, godly, wise men and women to help me understand or confirm whether or not I've made a good choice. Does that make sense? So that's where you and I are for the majority of our time is matters of good moral judgment. God says, recognize my providence and sovereignty in all things. Do not be boastful and arrogant and presuming on the future. But in your planning, 
in your life decisions, acknowledge me. Amen? Father, help us to do so. For we struggle with that very thing. Father, I probably could not count how many times that I've gone through life just this week in not seeking your counsel, not seeking your will, and not seeking scripture to order my steps. Father, how many times have we presumed on tomorrow, which tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. Father, may that humble us. And Lord, may we respond obediently to your word that we may not be guilty of a sin of omission. So Father, strengthen us through your, through your Holy Spirit that we may acknowledge who you are and what you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.